Well, don't be an idiot. It's a common phrase. Um, it's a true phrase, right? The, the world does not need any more idiots. And it's good for you to come to church because church in some ways is about you not being an idiot. Um, you're not being a fool. You're not being unwise. I remember back when I was teaching, I uh, spent about 20 years teaching and uh, kids used to go around and they go, you're an idiot. And I thought, one day I'm just going to look up the dictionary. What is an idiot? And the dictionary I looked up, it actually said an idiot is someone who's incapable of making a rational decision. Now that sets the bar pretty high, doesn't it? Right? So then I used to say to kids, I oh, seriously, if they make one common sense decision, your call doesn't count. You with me? Because to be an idiot, you have to make every single one as a bad one. So you can act like an idiot, but not necessarily be an idiot. I remember um, a group of uh, junior high boys uh, sitting uh, at the back of my graphics class one day, and um, I, I used to do this. I just like, what's what would your aspiration be in your life? Uh, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Um, and they said, one of them said, uh, I I want to go on the dole. It's a way to go. Like aim high, right? Um, here's, here's a bottom line. If you ask someone what they want to do in their life, I, I've never heard, and I don't think you would ever heard anyone say, you would ever hear anyone say, all I want to do is be an idiot. That's my goal. It's my goal in life. But we can end up there sometimes if we can act that way. And, uh, and, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at a particular type of foolishness and what wisdom looks like in contrast to this foolishness. So I'd love it if you can turn to the passage in James that we're looking at today. James chapter 3, verse 13. James 3, verse 13. James 3, starting at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Here's where we're going to go today. We're going to go, uh, first thing today is we're going to look at wisdom. What is wisdom? The second thing we're going to look at is dumb wisdom. (laughs) And the third thing we're going to look at is the good stuff. All right, so let's kick in. Wisdom, verse 13. James opens with a great question. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, James answers this and he says, you can tell who's wise and understanding among you by the way that they act, by their deeds. But it's a great opening question, isn't it? And I wonder whether you ever think that in your circles that you mix in. I wonder whether you ever think that in the church here. Who are the wise people and how can you tell that they're wise? How can you do that? Do you think about that much? Who, who would you, uh, I mean, we don't have to kind of point anyone out, but in the project, who would, you, who would you just go, I think they're wise? And my follow-up question would be, if you can identify someone who's wise, why are they wise? 
Now, usually, usually, but not always, uh, older people are wise. So one of the groups of people you might go for is you might go, okay, well, I know some older people and I think that they're wise. Um, And they often are. But who knows that older people are not always wiser people. There are some very foolish older people. So how do you tell a wise person? What kind of uh, deeds are you looking for? Now, here's a tip from me. When you're looking for wisdom, one of the things you just need to be aware of is that wisdom is quieter. It's less noticeable. I uh, compare it to a, um, a healthy, full stomach. When you have a healthy, full stomach, you don't think about it. It's, it's, it's normal, in a sense. Uh, and wisdom is kind of normal like that. It doesn't make a show of itself. That's what you see there in verse 13 from James there. He says that wisdom is humble. So it's obviously not going to be proud and it's not going to be out there and be in a public place. Well, let's just back up for a minute and ask this question. What is wisdom? Well, I could answer that for you by saying it's living skillfully. It's not just about knowing things. It's about being able to put good knowledge into action. And that makes a whole lot of sense. For those of us who have been around for the whole of James, you just go, yeah, James is going to be up for that. He's going to be up for knowledgeable, skillful acting. Now, what kind of knowledge and action are we talking about? Um, some would say any. There are wise people all over the place, and there are. In a sense, you can combine knowledge and skillful action almost in any field and exhibit wisdom. So you can be wise in lots and lots of different ways. But there's a higher level of wisdom, or perhaps even just a more grounded kind of wisdom that the Scriptures actually talk about. And uh, let me just illustrate it with this. Um, Let me just speak really quickly about secular psychology and research. Now, this is kind of my field a little bit. I'm not a psychologist, but I'm a counsellor, and I did some high-level study, um, and I had to look at research reports. And I'll tell you something about research reports is the, the questions I don't ask in research reports are almost as important as the ones I do ask in research reports, all right? There's, there's one thing that's true. But let me tell you something about uh, secular psychology, Secular psychology, by definition, doesn't actually ask the question about how people are connected to God and who God is. Now, when you read the Bible, let me tell you what the Bible says about God and his significance. He's the centre of everything. Humanity's made in his image. All truth that exists belongs to him. He's everywhere and everyone is going to give an account to him. Humanity were made for him and were made to live Um, by him, from him. Now, if you do a psychological study and you don't ask any questions or don't give any place for God, that's a massive hole. Is everyone with me? It's a massive hole because that is incredibly relevant to the study that that you're doing doesn't mean that you don't have anything useful that comes out of that research. Absolutely not. I'm not saying that for a second. I'm just saying you've got a massive hole in your research. 
And this is the reality of wisdom without God. You know, I could ask you, can you be wise without being a Christian? And I would say, yes, of course you can. But there is a cap, there is a lid on your wisdom because the biggest question doesn't get asked in your life. And the biggest question doesn't get answered in your life. You know, if the center of the universe is Jesus himself and you neither know him nor bend the knee to him, then you're missing out on the center of what it means to be wise. Here's the classic statement in the scriptures about wisdom. It's worth going back to this because James draws pretty, pretty heavily from the Old Testament. Now, let me just explain this as I read it. The fear of the Lord. Now, the fear that it's talking about there is awe and reverence. It's respect. There's always something that orients your life. You you have a fear of something that orients your life. There's always something that you respect and that you awe that brings shape to your life. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning. Another way of saying this word uh, in the Hebrew here is actually the essence the center, you're like, you want to you be knowledgeable or you need to nail down this bit. You need to nail down the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, this idea of knowledge in Proverbs 1.7 is not theoretical knowledge. It's a combination of theoretical and practical. It's, it's active. And you get later on in the book of Proverbs and it talks about the fear of the Lord as a beginning of wisdom in chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction now what is this what is this do you know what this is let me put this a different way for you Um, your relationship to God a right relationship to God leads to a right relationship to everything else that that's wisdom right like when we're getting to the core of really helpful wisdom it's like Get your relationship with God right, or your relationship to God right, which is the fear of the Lord, and then your relationship to everything else he has made will be correct, and it will be right. So what we're actually talking about here is that you can't be wise, ultimately, unless you have a proper relationship with God. This is exactly what Longman says. One cannot be called wise unless one has a proper relationship with God with God all right is that clear everyone good with that here's the summary statement of point number one the wise person is the person in right relationship with God and right relationship with what is around them by definition if God's the center there's going to be an error in your relationship with things around you if you don't have a correct orientation to God himself Everyone good? All right. That's wisdom. Now, dumb wisdom. (laughs) Now, interesting thing about James um, is he kicks in uh, from verse uh, 13 to 16 there. He kind of asks, who are the wise people around you? And then uh, he kicks into uh, how you can tell the people are wise. He talks about meekness. Uh, but we'll get to that later. And then immediately after that, he kicks into these people who think they're wise, but they're not actually wise. And this is what James is kind of hitting on here, is that there's people that think that they're 
um, wise, or they've got some so-called wisdom, which actually isn't wisdom at all. Now, you need to stop at this point, just at a a more, uh, with an aerial view here, and just agree with James, all right? And and let's just be honest. I mean, we can just kind of have a little bit of an an AA, meet, an AA meeting here, all right? And we can just say, look, there are just times where we think that we're being wise and we're actually acting like fools. Is anyone with me on that? That's a dynamic. Like, let's just be honest about it. It's a dynamic probably with every human. You can get into a, a situation, you just go, I am a really wise person here. Um, and you're not being wise at all. I mean, James has already hit on one of these in James chapter 1 where he talked about anger. I mean, people who are angry just feel so justified in their anger. And everyone else is going, you're being a fool, man. But the person who's angry is just going, no, this is exactly right. I'm the smartest, wisest person in the room right now. You know, what James says here is that you can think that you're doing something wise and not be doing something wise because something sinister can be going on in your hearts. So we just want to nail this one down. Uh, You can think... You're being wise when you aren't. Now, you can write that on your mirror in whiteboard marker. Okay? Peter, just remember this week, there are going to be times where you think that you're being wise when you aren't. Now, what does uh, James go on to talk about? Well, he goes on to talk about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Now, jealousy can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Um, But the fact that James has said bitter jealousy tells us that there's something sinister going on here. There's something probably in there that the jealous person is protecting that might be good. Um, But the way that it's actually being handled is in a very uh, bitter way. And I think what James is actually talking about here is the tendency for people to stand for something in a ferocious and domineering kind of way. Defending what is right. And then you've got mixed in there for James. You've got mixed in selfish ambition. It's like you or your crew are defending yourselves in a way that helps you to get ahead. Angry competition, fighting for your own rights, people undermining each other, people pursuing their own agenda, not what's good for everyone, just what's good for them and their crew. Sharpness of spirit, divisive. Here's a breakdown that uh, I sat down and I thought, I just want to nail down the essence of the way that I think this works. And here's what I came up with, this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. There's something good. Part of why it is good is it has some benefit for you. You work to defend it for your own advantage or advancement and you do it in a divisive way and you're proud about it. I think that's what James is actually talking about here. Now... Here's the question, what does that look like uh, in, in practice? Well, just like our whole culture, doesn't it? I mean, of all the things that we have going on in our culture at the moment, this is it. This is it. Um, there was a news article, uh, sorry, a news section on the ABC News this week on Facebook and uh, the call is that there needs to be more paid Facebook moderators. They've got about 15,000, they need 30,000 because there's all these admins of private Facebook groups that are just getting burnt out and just can't handle the intensity of the stuff that happens in private Facebook groups. 
And it tends to either kind of be a duck or a hundred, as Jaden would say. It's, it's, they're either terrible, these groups, what's going on in them, or super, super helpful. And it doesn't seem like there's heaps in between. Um, this is the article on the ABC News this week. And one of the people they interviewed was Russell Redman. Um, and he talked about how the brutal stuff that happens in private groups made him cynical. Listen to this. He says, I spent a solid year in a constant grump. <laughs> Old ladies would smile at me up the street and I'd be like, yeah, right, I don't trust you. You get on social media and what are people doing? Well, they are getting amongst it and acting as though they are wise, but it's the very thing that James is actually talking about here. And they're not actually being wise at all. There may be something helpful and good at stake, but in the end, it's actually about them. And it's like they're parading a kind of wisdom, but in reality, it's not wisdom at all. It's foolishness. Now, some of you go, uh, Peter, um, where's it happening in the church? And I'm glad you asked. Uh, Because I think that's what James is actually talking about here. Because it's not just a culture thing, it's in the church as well. Um, Anytime where there's divisiveness happening, I think you can see this kind of thing playing out in the church. So I just want to give you three quick case studies. I've got one for the kids, all right? So hang in, kids. One for you, which the adults, we don't really understand, but uh, you'll understand. I'm being sarcastic. Here's the first one. The person who has to be right. <laughs> this is the person that has to be right. They have to have an answer for everything. No one can ever win an argument against you. You don't engage in reasons, just opinion. I think this is one of the reasons why we're so divided in our societies because people don't actually talk about reasons anymore. They just give opinions. There's little dialogue. There's only people's opinionated statements that they're actually putting out there. I mean, these kind of people don't tend to look for people who cut across them. They only look for the information that they actually like. Now, I'm just going to perform a community service. If you're one of these people that can never be wrong, other people find you really irritating. And you're probably not on a team, right? Because there's only one person on your team, and that's you. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? The question for people who have to be right is, uh, are you genuinely open to truth? Are you genuinely open to reason? Because this, needing to be right, isn't about truth-seeking. You know, to be full of yourself, to be above the critique of others and confident that you are always right, it's actually immaturity. That's what it is. I, um, I finished a doctorate last year, and one of the things you have to do with a doctorate is you have to do a research proposal defence, which basically means you come in, you put your idea forward for a, uh, a research project, and then everyone just takes, a few, takes sticks out and starts hitting it, basically. Like, not literally, right? But they criticise all of the stuff that you put out there. So my supervisor said, listen, we can't fit in with a normal research seminar schedule, so we'll just put a special one on for you. And I'm just going, this is going to be great, right? Because... No one is going to turn out. There's going to be like five people there, six people, and then there were like 25, like more than for any research seminar that I'd ever been to. There were more people there, and, and I got up and I did my proposal, and 
it was it was pretty shaky and I was really nervous. And then at the end, unusually, there's a there's a QA that normally runs for about 20 to 25 minutes. This one ran for 45 minutes. Right? That wasn't the end of it, right? Um, you're there for 45 minutes, you're feeling these questions, and then the uh, the research board take you out behind the shed and give you another thrashing out behind the shed. What did it teach me? It taught me really strongly that it's wise and it's good to have people cut across you and you need to listen to them. And one of the best things you can say when you're doing a research proposal defence, when you don't know what to say, is that's a really good point and I'm going to follow that up. So you have a pen and a piece of paper up on the lectern and you actually write it down. Why is this wise? Because it's possible you could be wrong. You could be seriously wrong and you need the contribution of other people and you even need opponents to you to actually review and to deal well with the things that you think that you actually know. Now, there are things that I'm very, very sure of. But I could be wrong. Isn't that true? We, We could be wrong. And so we hold to a conviction, we hold to a conviction on something, but we don't become this person who's never wrong. That isn't humility. My, my tendency uh, has been this. I would say to people, uh, this is what I think, and these are the reasons why I think it, but I could be wrong. You don't always have to say that last bit, but the way that you actually embody it is really important. And that's actually what used to happen um, in the research stuff that I did. And that's what my supervisor did time and time again, you know. I, uh, I called him the smiling assassin, right? Because I'd send off my chapter to him and he'd put on his ninja clothes and get his sword out and slice it to bits, you know. This is good, that's bad, and I haven't got a clue what you're talking about there. And then he'd send it back. And you know what? That gets you wiser, when someone does that, you don't get wiser by thinking that you're always right. Kids, here's the one for you. What about this one? It's another example of it. Pinging your siblings. Let me give you an example. You say out loud as you're walking past the room with the TV in it. Did mum say you could watch TV? <laughs> you say it very loud. Why, why are you saying it loud? Well, you're saying it loud because you missed out on TV. And you're being obedient. And you just can't stand by and let them be disobedient, can you? They have to have what you have. It seems wise, but it's actually ambition and rivalry going on. And it brings about division. And James, this is another one of those things James would say is not wisdom. It's not wisdom. What about this one? You will see this kind of attitude all over the place in conflict. It's one of the most tempting places for selfish ambition and bitter uh, jealousy to come out. Why? Because what happens in a conflict is someone says something about you that's wrong. And if you admit it, come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? If you admit it, you lose something, don't you? 
So you might do conflict well, but the times where you don't do conflict well is where you go, I'm not going to give in to that. I'm not going to admit that because if I do, I'm actually going to lose something. And that tells you something. It tells you that you aren't just about the truth. You're about yourself. It's about you. And you work in a conflict situation to defend your position. Sometimes, I'll be honest with me, right? Sometimes we even hold to a position that we know is false because letting it go would be bad. Who knows what I'm talking about? Come on, be honest. Oh, man. See? There's, there are, there's stuff in the Bible about lying. Right? It's in the top ten list. What do you do? Well, you don't give way. You fight and you push back and you end up with two people doing the same thing. Defending their turf, fighting, pushing back, defending their rights. And the ends always justify the means. Does anyone know what I'm talking about with conflict? It's like, okay, well, we've got to get there. And whatever I have to do to get there, I'm going to do it. So we say outrageous things. We do outrageous things. And in the moment, you think you're wise, but in the end, you've really been a fool. You've created division. What's the result of this uh, so-called wisdom that James talks about here? Well, verse uh, 16 there, he says, uh, the result of it is disorder and every vile practice. You know, you just, who knows this is true? Whenever you've got this kind of thing going on, things just get upset, they get messed up, all right? And you can justify just about anything when this stuff is happening. And it's foolish. It's foolish. Now, I want to move on to the last point, which is the good stuff. But I just want to preface it by saying this is a lot harder than what you think. Okay? I mean, some of this stuff, I think, we see it played out in really significant ways in the political scene. Um, Because it takes a lot more skill to handle some things in life than what you realise, okay? Um, I'll get to that in a minute, some more of that. What's the good stuff? Well, let's just have a read of uh, verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It's ripped through. It's pure. This is how you tell what wisdom is, folks. Um, Pure um, means that you're not up to anything else. You're operating like God. There's a purity of your heart. You know, you, you could stop for a moment at this point and just go, I wonder who has got a pure heart, like when they do stuff, it's like, I'm pretty sure they're not up to anything else. Second one, peaceable. Um, You see, wisdom does not aim to stir things up. It doesn't do that. It aims for unity, to bring people together. See, wisdom prefers peace. It's a peace spreader. That's what it is. We'll get to some more of that in a minute. This one, gentle. 
Uh, this could be translated considerate. And it is in other versions. Considerate. Oh man, do we need this? Gentleness is in short supply in our culture. What, what is being considerate? Well, being considerate is thinking about things from the other person's point of view. Here's, here's another word that we use for that in our house. Margin. <laughs> you know, like you can get in situations where people are arguing, they're in the middle of conflict, and our comment, uh, or my comment a lot of the time, but Angie and I often say, you need to give your brothers some margin. Why would you need to give people some margin? Well, maybe they had a bad night's sleep. And so it's going to be harder for them today to be able to handle themselves. Maybe they've got a headache. Maybe they just walked out of a really, really hard meeting. And you don't know anything about it. And you just want to lay the law down and say, you've got to fit in with me in this, in this space right here and right now. That's not being considerate. It doesn't mean that we avoid the things that are important, but it does mean that we give people some margin. It's like maybe there's something going on here that I don't know about. Wendy Mass says, uh, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. That's true, right? There's always a backstory to what's going on. So don't play line ball and then ping them for getting their toenail over the line. (laughs) Don't do that. That's not what wisdom does. Wisdom is considerate. It's gentle. It doesn't push the letter of the law. It leads to unity, not division. This one. Open to reason. I mean, I've already said a bit about this. It's like, don't even get me started on this, right? This is one of the things I think that really irritates me in our culture at the moment because people don't have arguments most of the time. They have opinions, that's all they have. And this is one of the genuine concerns that has been uh, talked about in the media about people's news feeds. Like in the past, there were like three, maybe three kind of news sources and everyone would kind of get all of those to some degree or another. But now you can have a Facebook feed and only the stuff that you like comes up on your feed. So where, where are you going to get cut across? Where are you going to get information that's different to what you listen to? And people are recognising that this is a genuine problem in our culture. Everyone has an opinion, but either no one has reasons or they don't want to talk about them. That's kind of how it rolls in our culture. And most of the time, I think people hold opinions because they suit them. Do you gen- are you genuinely a truth seeker or do you hold your opinions because they suit you and they fit what you want to do? I think it was Aldous Huxley. I think it was Aldous Huxley, a, uh, quite a famous atheist, who said that we didn't believe in God because we wanted sexual freedom. Now, I'm paraphrasing him, but that's what he said. And I've got a quote of his that says pretty much exactly that. Why did he hold to the belief system he held to so he could do what he wanted to do with his sexuality? And if we're honest, we're all a bit like that. We like to uh, go with the thing that suits us. 
But wisdom, on the other hand, is open to reason, isn't it? It says, okay, come at me. Come at me. Tell me what you think is wrong with what I'm saying. Tell me what's wrong with what I'm thinking. And you listen. And if they can put up a good argument, you know what you do? Change your mind. Don't you? And all of you who are wise just go, yeah, of course you do, Peter. Of course you do. That's what you do. That's wise. Full of mercy and good fruits. We did this earlier in chapter 2. Mercy is critical. It must result in action. This is the evidence of wisdom. And then finally, impartial and sincere. Undivided in mind. And one commentator I read said this. They said, wise people are stable, trustworthy and transparent. Think about that. Stable, trustworthy and transparent. Now, here's my summary statement. Wisdom hoses things down. True? Wisdom hoses things down. James 3 verse 18, he finishes with this. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And who knows that the ability to hose things down and to bring about peace and unity between people takes incredible skill and wisdom. It just does, right? It does. I mean, think about politics. It doesn't matter which side of politics you're on, there are people that come along in the political sphere that seem to have a real wisdom and a skill in being able to bring about peace in situations that could be uh, acrimonious People could violently disagree. And I say, <laughs> let's have more of them. Who are the peacemakers in the project? Not the peacekeepers. Who are the peacemakers? The ones that can go into a situation and diffuse it and bring about unity between people without sacrificing important things. I'm going to go right out on a limb here and I could get in trouble for this later. And I'm, I'm not talking at this point about policies, right? But I don't think that Donald Trump is a particularly good peacemaker at all. Okay? I'm not talking about policies. I'm just talking about him as a person and the way that he does things, the way that he leads. I genuinely, at the moment, I fear deeply for the United States. The place is so ridiculously divided. And inside of me, my heart cries out and I go, God, would you just send them a peacemaker? Someone who can have the high-level wisdom that brings about some kind of calm in the place and brings people together instead of separating them. It is very, very partisan. We've had that in Australia. But we've also had prime ministers in Australia who bring people together and they calm things down. They make agreements between people. They find ways forward. There's still the party thing that goes on, but they are actually quite skilled at hosing things down and helping things to go forward. 
Now, this is just a personal opinion. This is not in the Bible. But I think Scott Morrison is doing a pretty reasonable job with that. Whether you agree with his policies and what he, what he goes with, I'm not talking about that. I just think he's quite skilled and he's very wise, at least at making the effort to try and bring people together. I think we've seen some of that fruit in the uh, national cabinet that they've had going. There you go. Um, you're not supposed to talk about religion and politics in, uh, in our society. We've just done them both at church. So, Here's where I'm going to finish. Um, how do you get this? How do you get this kind of wisdom? Well, James tips you off uh, at one point and then I think um, a little bit earlier in the passage helps you to see the, the detail of what's actually going on. The bit that he tips you off about is he says the wisdom from above. So it's wisdom that needs to be given to you by God. But how do you get it? Well, if you go all the way back, let me, uh, let me find the verse for you. Go back to verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your what? In your hearts. Okay. That is a tip-off for you. And it's going to show up again in James chapter 4 in the uh, next few messages that we have. Uh, These people have an allegiance to something and it's not to God. They have an allegiance to themselves. That's what the selfish ambition is. You remember, if we go right back to the first point this morning, what is wisdom? Wisdom is have a right relationship with God or to God, the fear of the Lord, and you'll have a right relationship with everything else. You see what's going on here? These people are not wise. Why are they not wise? Because their relationship is not right between them and God. And it leads to a dysfunctionality in their relationship to everything else. They think they're wise, but they're not actually wise. And they actually lie about what wisdom is. So do you walk out of the project this morning and go, right, I've just got to work way harder (laughs) at being pure, peace-loving, open-minded? Is that how I get it? And I'd say to you, no, that's not how you get it. That's not how you get it. You get given it. How do you get given it? Well, you get given it by being in right relationship with God. You get in right relationship with God and you'll be in right relationship with everything else. That's how it works. I wonder if the uh, worship team would like to um, come up. We're going to sing. As we do, as I just get organised... Um, it's a bit of a side note, not really part of the message, but uh, I, d- I want to throw it your way. Um, what wise people do you hang out with? I mean, clearly, you want to be hanging out with God. If you hang out with God a lot and your relationship is right and good with God, then you'll be wise, right? Makes sense. But the way that God set things up is that you aren't just to receive the things that you need from him. You need to receive things that you need from uh, other people as well. So who do you hang out with? Who do you pick their brain? Who do you meet up with regularly 
who's got some wisdom that you'd like to get, right? Because if you hang around, I mean, this is the, the negative side of it is uh, in the scriptures there, right? Uh, bad company corrupts good morals, all right? The people you hang out with have an effect on you. Well, that's the way God made it to be. So, none of you are as wise as you need to be. None. Some of you are really wise. But you know what I say to the people who are pretty wise? You need to grow in wisdom. (laughs) Why? Because that is a true human thing to do. You just keep growing in wisdom. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favour with God and man. Growing in wisdom isn't just a sin thing, it's a human thing. We want to grow in wisdom. So I'll just ask you, who do you who do you hang out with? And to use biblical terminology, who disciples you? That's really what this growth in wisdom is. You know, if it turns out, you know, praying it doesn't happen, but if it turns out that we end up not being able to meet like this, I would love to know that all of you have thought about that and you've just gone, I'm locking in with a community that's going to help me and I'm locking in with someone I can walk alongside who's going to help me to be wise. Now, should you wait around for someone to come up and offer? Absolutely not. The best kind of discipleship, the best kind of wisdom gathering is where the person goes and gets the wisdom. They go and gather themselves. They say, I don't know stuff. I don't know how to do stuff. Can I get alongside you? Can I walk with you for a bit? Can I hear your wins and losses? Can I talk to you about my wins and losses? Can we grow together? Have you got someone like that? Have you got someone who will tell the truth to you? That you don't like? Have you got someone who will tell you that you're wrong? And you know that they love you? I do. And it's awesome. I wrote this journal article at the start of the year. And I sent it to my mate who I know loves me, but I know he always tells me the truth. And he said to me, he said this, I kid you not, I'd spent like 10 days on it. He goes, you need to throw out two-thirds of it. But before he did that, you know what he said to me? He said, Pete, do you really want to hear what I think? And you know what I said? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Don't hold back, brother, because I know that you love me and I want to hear the truth from you. Who does that for you? Now, I'm blessed with more than one. And I think we all need more than one. But if you don't have one that does that, you need to find, let's, I mean, let's just start with one. All right? So you, you come to me and say, Peter, I don't have any. It's like, well, um, that's not so good. And you go, hey, you think one's enough? It's like, well, one is like infinitely better than none. All right? Because if you've got none, you've got none. <laughs> 